what I love about Twitter is it makes it really accessible to invest in people. Like there, there are companies I had no business getting into that I've been able to get into just because I shot my shot, as they say. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Ellen De Silva. She's most recently the Head of Business Development at Hims and Hers. She's also an active angel investor as a Sequoia Scout and Seed and Series A consumer tech companies, including the likes of Fast, Clubhouse, Levels, Cameo, Toucan, and many more. Let's dive in. Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yes. And there's always so much to chat about. And with your journey from Twitter and then angel investing and even starting a new new company, I know you announced at some point too. I want to go back to the angel investing side of things though. What got you started in the first place as an angel investor? Well, I got started in my, I did my very first angel investment at the very beginning of 2015. A dear friend of mine and I actually wrote a book together and he was starting a company. It was a no-brainer that I was going to invest in him, but I knew nothing about angel investing. So I asked if I could write him a very small personal check. I didn't have a ton of money, um, but I, I knew that investing in him was very important. And so he said yes. And I got hooked. I mean, I started seeing all these great, smart people around me starting businesses that I didn't want to miss out. Did that all come from like your Twitter network, like online, finding people, friends? Like, Tell me more about where these deals are coming from. Well, at the start, it came from my Twitter network, although admittedly, I didn't have very much money. Uh, I, I actually um, did only a very, very small number of deals with really tiny checks prior to going to business school. But then when I got to business school, I noticed that there were incredibly smart people who were starting businesses so much so that actually one of my one of my very first business school friends and first like B-School Angel Checks is going public, they announced today. So I'm very proud of that one. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. So, so deal flow came a lot from my class. I got, I received the advice from somebody who said, if you have an opportunity to invest in your section mates, do it blindly. Don't ask questions about what they're doing. Just do it because nine times out of 10, they're going to be successful. And <laughs> it turned out to be true. Um, anyway, I, uh, in my first year, I, I would, again, write really tiny personal checks as my bank account was ever dwindling. When you say tiny personal checks, just for ref- reference to people who have no yeah. idea, what does that even mean for you? Yeah. So I was writing uh, 1K to 5K checks. I should also hype up my husband, who is incredible. Um, he is also an angel investor with a little bit of institutional capital behind him. He's also an operator. And so occasionally, if we felt really tapped out, or rather I felt really tapped out, I would send it to him. And if he liked the investment, he would make it with some of the institutional money. At that time, I know you had all these friends around you. So you have opportunities to invest because people are starting companies that you know, uh, great network, obviously from business school. But what were you personally looking for in terms of what you wanted out of these investments and also like the founders too? Mm, I think about that a lot because it's a, it's an evolution. Um and obviously the market changes, but the the way I think about deals changes. At that time, a lot of it was just <laughs> investing in people who I, I knew and personally liked. I, I, I think a lot of the entrepreneurial journey is the durability and the endurance of a founder. So if I felt I knew the person well enough and I could gauge whether they were cut out for that sprint, um, that felt like a good enough reason 
to invest. <laughs> I cared at the time a lot less about what they were building. It's funny. I, I've gone through swings. I actually went through a mode where I was really laser focused on certain spaces. Like I would look for people who are starting companies in the podcasting space or in the consumer health space or whatever. And now actually I, I've kind of swung in the other direction. And if if I believe in you, I don't really care what you're starting. I'm just going to invest in you. With that too. So as you've progressed, you know, I you've kind of branched out, I'm sure from just friends from business school, like how are you evaluating these, these founders at, at this early stage, especially because there's not a lot of data on their company. Some could be pre-product, pre-revenue, all that stuff. How did, what's your process like in terms of that? Mm. I, I get you'll laugh. I get a lot of my deal flow from Twitter, actually. I think that I there that. is I love that so much. There's a magic to the luster and maybe maybe there's a little fallacy in there too. There's a bit of like figuring out the signal and the noise, but um there can be a luster around people who are so magnetic that they they ooze what they're working on. You can see that come through if they're tweeting about it. So more often than not, I'll I'll cold reach out to founders. I've actually now uh three times invested in companies where I blindly reached out to the founder. Um, I'll give I'll give one example because I'm sure yes. you want some specifics. Uh, I had been following this, this brilliant woman, Allison Allen, um, who was at Uber for probably like, I don't know, eight years or something on Twitter because I, I liked, I, I do a lot of, as you can tell, I'm passionate about investing. I do not only seed investing, but I do some public market investing just for myself. And she would tweet a lot about public market investing. I saw that she was leaving where she was working. And even though we didn't know each other, I sent her a DM on Twitter and I said, I really like you from afar. I'd love to learn what you're building. And she agreed to get coffee with me. So we met within, I, I, I very seldom do this, but within 10 minutes of meeting her, I said, I, I want to invest. I don't I don't know um, a ton about fintech, but I know that I can be helpful to you in other ways. And we could walked through uh, how my background could help her. We stayed in touch and I ended up investing in Fast, which um, I'm really, I'm a very, very proud investor of their business. That's amazing. And there are so many opportunities that come through Twitter and like, taking the initiative. There is the the inbound we see at Vitalize, for instance, and then also if there are people we see that are just seem amazing, like, yeah, you reach out to them, you start kind of connecting with them. Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you building? Like, how are you going about this? And you're intrigued by it, which is why I love Twitter so much and like, have grown to love Twitter in the last like year plus when I actually started using it. So much deal flow happens through Twitter, which is insane. <laughs> totally. I, um, Twitter is a platform that democratizes access to a lot of things, but part of my work in angel investing has been around both, um, trying to put my money where my mouth is, as in investing in underrepresented minorities and women. Um, but also part of what I love about Twitter is it makes it really accessible to invest in people. Like there, there are companies I had no business getting into that I've been able to get into just because I shot my shot, as they say. Wait, wait, wait. Give us an example of that. Any, any company you can, you can talk about that you got into. Yeah. I mean, Clubhouse. Like I, I definitely... I'm not the. I'm not a very high profile angel investor. I I would not ever tout, tout myself as a um, a super angel by any means. But I started using their product. I, I was enthusiastic about it in the early days. And again, I, I reached out and I just said, "Hey, if you're taking any angel money, I would love to write write you a check." Um, and again, there are some of these more high profile deals that um, I think if you really get into the weeds and start using their product, um, and you can 
find a way to get in touch with these founders, whether it's through Twitter, which is my my platform of choice or other platforms, um, there is no shame in asking. A lot of times, and my life motto is you don't get what you don't ask for. A lot of times it's just about asking the question. Okay. Going back to Clubhouse though, how did you hear about yeah. them even? How'd you find the product in the first place? On Twitter. <laughs> it was, <laughs> they were actually called something else and I'm now blanking on the name, but people were People in the um, Twitter alumni ecosystem were tweeting about this app. So I asked a friend of mine who seemingly had access how I could try it. She sent me a, a test link, a test flight link. I started using it and I loved it. I was hooked. I mean, I, I really like social media. I love connecting with people. It seemed like in April of 2020, the pandemic was never going to end. So it seemed like a great place to get social connection. Uh, and I, I became a very avid user. And quite frankly, when I think about the kinds of companies I invest in, it's there's a bit of a matrix of, okay, do I love the founder? Sure. And then would I want to use this product with any frequency? A lot of my investments are product driven in that way. As, as a non-product person, just like do I love using it? Am I passionate about it? Is it a delightful experience? Yes. Then, then I want to invest. What was that like? The roller coaster of them getting so much more investment throughout the pandemic. Well, as your as your perspective, because you invested super early. Like, what are you thinking as you're seeing that? Like, oh my gosh, did they waste how much from injuries? Or like, take me through that. Just want to hear your thoughts on that. And, you know, admittedly, I, I am, uh, again, a small investor and I'm not necessarily privy to the inner workings of the roller coaster, but sure, it's, it's gratifying to see external validation in a product that you believe so strongly in that you put money behind it. So um, with Clubhouse, with any of the companies that I have invested in that have gone on to raise larger and, and ever larger rounds, um, it, it's just validating. I mean, you, you see something, you see a spark of something to watch it evolve and become a product or service that is enticing to people, that people at arm's length all over the world want to use. Um, that's very validating. The money is one form of validation, but also seeing the usage stats go up, seeing that Clubhouse has rooms in other languages and other countries. Now that seems old hat, but when I first invested, that was not even a glimmer. So it, there are many kinds of validation and fundraising is one of them. At this point with angel investing, so I want to talk about Twitter a little bit more because I think it's fascinating. But with this, I'm just thinking of for you, like what does it look like in terms of how many investments you're trying to make a year? Do you have a number or like do you think about that side of things? How has that evolved over time for you? Numbers are dictated usually by how much money somebody has to invest. Uh, so I... I'm very grateful I get to um, invest on behalf of a, a really remarkable fund. And most of my investments now are, are backed by an institution. Um, so I'm I'm just like deeply grateful that they have entrusted me with that level of responsibility. That being said, I don't necessarily target a number. I would say number is actually more determined by my own bandwidth and not wanting to overreach, yeah. you know, with, with the fund. But um by my own bandwidth, because I until recently was the head of business development at Hims and Hers. Um, so I, you know, had a full-time day job and I would do the angel investing usually at night or on the weekends. Typically, I would say I do between five and eight a year. I think this year I'll do probably closer to eight because activity has been really high. The hardest part is saying no. There are a lot of great companies that are, you know, are going to be fantastic. And 
the way I determine if I'm going to say yes is I want my check to be more than money. Money is extremely helpful. I do not want to discount how incredible it is to be able to write a 25K check for the founder. Um, but I also want to be able to provide access. And so I've, I've cultivated leadership groups in business development in various industries. Uh, I've spent a lot of time now in direct consumer health and in, um, in consumer internet at Twitter. And I've got these pockets of communities that I know I can introduce founders to. Uh, but my, my leverage as an individual can only go so far, both from a clout perspective as well as from a time and bandwidth perspective. So I, I try to limit my uh, investments to between five and eight per year because I don't really have the bandwidth to help <laughs> that many founders at any given time. Yeah, that's actually something I talked to Stella Garber, who used to be the head of marketing at Trello about. And she said it was so challenging. She's like, busy job, you know, executive at this company, but then also angel investing and like how to balance that was really hard. I don't know, like, how did you allocate time while you were at him's, like him's and hers? Like, how did you allocate time like for angel investing? I'm just curious on how you balance the two. It's hard, and I have two young kids, so it's, yeah. time is a <laughs> time is a, a big scarcity. It's interesting. I, I spent really a lot of like off hours time meeting people, and inevitably between business school networks and um, other founders I've invested in now, I have a little bit of a repertoire. Uh, my incredible husband who passes off consumer deals to me and then and then investors who like to show me deals. I get a lot more deal flow than I can possibly handle. So I have a good system of, I'll, I'll make a, I have a little bit of a matrix. I'll make a spreadsheet and I'll, I'll say, does this fit the bill of, can my network help this person or can my experience help this individual? Uh, is the TAM big enough? Is the founder a, a high caliber founder? Then I'll take, I, I, I'll winnow it down and then I'll take the meeting. It's, Maybe not quite as cut and dry as I've just explained. There's a there's a lot of finesse <laughs> to that too. But I, you know, of course. I'll think about it. I'll think about it just from a: Do I even have enough time to meet this person? Uh, and if I do, then I'll try to take meetings with them. As I said in the evenings, Zoom has really helped because it's not like I have to go meet travel downtown time. or travel to go to them. So Zoom has made it a lot easier to take a lot more of these meetings, and that's that's been very helpful. And then. Um, I've also just made a commitment to try to be a little faster about making the decision. So I, I try to do it after one meeting. I, often it takes two to three meetings for me. Uh, I'm not necessarily a shoot from the hip kind of person. So I try to be a little more measured in um, in, in how I invest. Uh, as a result, um, I've definitely missed some things that I regret. Like there's a classmate of mine from HBS who started an incredible media business. I didn't entirely have convictions slash I didn't entirely have the bandwidth. And so I just decided to pass. Um, and I, I regret it because she's a founder I would love to support. And I, I now try to support her in other ways in her journey. But um, bandwidth is, is a real thing if you're not a full-time investor and you're doing this from an angel perspective. And I, I'll tell you just from talking to Gail a lot too uh, at Vitalize, it's a problem even if you are a full-time investor because there's always so many deals coming in. Like we, I mean, we have hundreds of companies that are coming to us, pitching us, you know, from co-investors, whatever, every month, like, I mean, hundreds of hundreds. And it's like, we just hired some deal associate people to help manage some of that, take some of those first calls. But it's a lot, even if you are full-time on it, because then there's just more that come to you. So yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy either way. And like, one thing I want to talk about though, you mentioned kind of your value add a little bit as an angel investor. Talk about, tell me more about like getting into deals. I mean, you pitched at Clubhouse and got in so, so early with them. Like, 
how do you portray that as you're trying to get into these deals? Like, do you say like, this is how I can help in X, Y, Z way. These are the ways. And I'm just trying to think of other, you know, aspiring investors, people who are just getting started investing and even people who are been investing, but want to get into better deals. Like, how has that gone for you? How do you go about that too, Ellen? I have definitely taken time to refine my pitch. It was a little messier in the early days, but figuring out what your value is to these founders is extremely helpful. And now that I'm going through the founder journey myself, I realize that I have a very specific need for what I want, and I'm going to pick investors who can help me plug those gaps. So a great example is I invested in this remarkable founder, a guy named J.D. Moresco, who founded a company called Batch. And Batch does QR, I'm oversimplifying it, they have a very, very big vision and I'm super excited about what they're doing. But in a nutshell, right now they have QR codes that make it very seamless to do one-click checkout off of physical products. So um, the offline to online conversion in CPG is, is a big problem. Um, and they have tons of amazing tech that they've built around um, this, this experience. J.D. was so oversubscribed in his round that uh, it, you know, it was maybe almost laughable that somebody like me could get in. But because I've spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in the uh, direct-to-consumer ecosystem and the direct-to-consumer health ecosystem, I run a strategic partnerships, what I call the BD roundtable for heads of business development at these other companies. And as a result, I've got access to these other D2C companies and I can make introductions for them, which is exactly what they needed in the early days. That became a pitch that I was able to refine and can offer. But again, I have to be selective about how I offer that because I don't want to jeopardize my other relationships. So yep. that's that's how I pitch myself to founders. And, and often it's a little more nuanced than the oversimplified version I'm providing here. But <laughs> um, my, my best advice is knowing exactly specifically what value you can provide to founders is what will often set it over the edge if they're oversubscribed and, and are unable to take any more capital. Yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because it is something to think about as an angel, how you how you get access. Because seeing deals is one thing, getting into deals is another thing. And even for us, like we're thinking about with Vitalize Angels, like what's that pitch for us to founders to work with us? Because it's a little more red tape going through allowing not accredited and accredited through a, a basically going to WeFunder and having a diversified angel group that can make connections and then provide diversity in your cap table is really helpful. And so that's something we, we bring to the table as well. And we're always trying to think about that too, in terms of like, how do you portray that? How do you show the value of that? And also people who are starting angel investing, you know, a lot of people are operators for a long time, like interested in angel investing and have these networks. They never, never dove in yet, but now they're thinking about it. It's like, okay, well, you obviously have a lot of experience as an operator. You can bring that in some capacity invest in those deals and have a value add there. But to your point, like, yeah, if you're organizing all these things with BDs and all different companies, then you have that network is really valuable for founders to have as well. I love, I mean, I love what you just said because um, it reminds me that a $500 check with a massive value unlock is actually a lot more appealing as a founder than a 25K check that's just a 25K check and nothing more. Yeah. Um, so as I, as I like to encourage people, especially because I want to see financial equality across the board, knowing what your worth is and being able to add a small amount of money is a great way to get started with angel investing. And you don't need to have tons of money to do it. Yeah. I know actually Elizabeth Yan and Hustle Fund also mentioned this recently about the thousand dollar checks. Like it's such a huge unlock. I mean, our minimum for Vitalize Angels is a thousand dollars for the checks for each person. Yep. And we have tons of them coming in of a thousand dollar checks that, you know, you add up in aggregate, we can get a decent amount into to founders, but it's a way to learn, build a portfolio, 
also you have real skin in the game if you're actually investing in these companies that it's like, oh yeah, I did put a thousand dollars. Like, like I'm not, a, I'm not accredited myself. And so I've invested in like three or four of the deals. And so it's like, oh, I do have those thousand dollar checks in all these companies. Like you're trying to think of how to help them, how to add value in some capacity too, and building that portfolio and that muscle of investing and building conviction around investing in these companies, which I think is really useful. And one of the things I wanted to ask about too, just with your book you wrote, how did writing a book impact you your thinking, your professional network. I, I just want to know more about that. I wrote it in 2014 with my friend Alex Taub, who mm-hmm. has just been the most incredible supporter and sponsor of my career. And I hope to do half as much for him as he did to me or, or really pay it forward, which I think is the model we're supposed to embody and embrace. Um, Alex and I wrote this book on business development and in it, or rather for it, we interviewed about 25 operators, all of whom, you know, if I could have made individual bets like on them as stocks, would have been great bets. Because a lot of these people have gone on to have really meteoric success. And I'll let people take a look at the book if they want some specifics there. But in doing so, it, it expanded my horizon as far as my, you know, my my network. It also opened my eyes to how other people do the same job that I was doing. So one of the really cool, uh, to, to tie this back to angel investing, one of the really cool things I enjoy about angel investing is I'll get a view from the top of how a different company might tackle the same problems. So for example, if I'm helping a company think through their go-to-market strategy, well, I knew how Hims was doing it, but then I got to see how other companies were doing it and I could reapply it to my own job. Or if... um I often see that there are synergies even across companies. So I can I can be a much more value-add angel if I can say to somebody, well, I've now seen this with two of the other companies I've invested in. Here, here's when they hired a head of finance, or here's how they think about pivoting their their product strategy. Because I have a lot of data points. So when you when you work in an operating business, you often have just an N of one experience to see something, but if you Angel Invest, I, I like that arc. And so writing the book helped me do the same thing. I have a lot more data points now from the, the specific business development perspective that I, I can understand how other people would tackle the same problem. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because Leo Polovitz from Susa Ventures, I talked to him recently on the show and he is mentioning that same thing. He started doing angel investments to start to learn more and see more because he's only going to do like three out of the fund each year. But his angel investments, he would do like six or eight or something. So like you just see way more companies and have way more data points to your point of that to be able to kind of assess different markets and different uh, different strategies and everything as well, which is really helpful for him. And one thing you talked about earlier, I just want to kind of end with is just thinking about being an angel investor, then you were a scout as well. How did that transition happen? What does that entail for you? I'm curious to more about that. Uh, the transition happened. I actually did a program called Withdraft Ventures when I was in business school. I was the representative. They have one or two people from each academic institution. I, I was based in Boston. Um, one or two people from each academic institution as scouts for them. So I got I got my reps in. Rough Draft is sponsored by General Catalyst, and I actually then went and helped GC set up the Rough Draft program for the Bay Area schools when I moved back after business school. That. Um, for a host of reasons, that that got much more professionalized. They they really didn't need my help anymore. So we, um, I, I stopped doing it, but I still loved angel investing. And so um, 
through a you know through a handful of people got introduced to the folks over at Sequoia. Very, very generously, they they let me start scouting for them. Um, the transition was fairly seamless. I mean, I always acted like if I had access to capital, I I would invest in this person. So I was always writing these really tiny one k to 5K angel checks myself. As I said, once I invested in my friend's business at the beginning of 2015, it's been an IV drip ever since. (laughs) I love that. And as we wrap things up here, where's the best place for people to connect with you, get in touch with you as well, Alan, if they'd like to? Oh, definitely on Twitter. Although I own at Ellen on Twitter, it's not what I use. So find me at Ellen J. DeSilva on Twitter. DM me. My DM should be open. Um, Otherwise, uh, you can DM me and I'll give you my email address if that's easier. But I think Twitter is the best way. Wait, hold on. We can't gloss over that. You own at Ellen on Twitter as well and you don't use it? Wait, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I own it. I got it in the early days. I I got it, um, you know, a thousand years ago. It was really spammy because everyone thinks it's Ellen DeGeneres. Uh So in the early days, the Twitter product could not really sift the noise from the signal and it was virtually unusable. So I thought I'll just keep it and I'll get at Ellen J. DeSilva because every other one of my digital profiles is Ellen J. DeSilva. So I started using it and now they have much better filters for these sorts of things. I could use it, but I gather that the switching, the transfer process, I I used to do it back in the day at Twitter, but it's changed and I think it's a little cumbersome. So I just, let it let it hang out there in the ether and send random tweets every so often. That is amazing. I have two friends of mine who are two entrepreneurs, and they also are sitting on a interesting uh, Twitter handle. Like they know it could be could be something, but they just haven't done anything with it yet. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, try oh, it. I mean, I don't know. Justin, an, another oh, I can dedicate a whole podcast to the Twitter handles I have. Okay, oh, <laughs> I love that. Also, just one before we end here, shout out to uh, Rachel Sanders at Routine for like suggesting that uh, we should chat. So I just want to give her a shout out. Shout out to Rachel, a, a tremendous entrepreneur friend um, whose business I love to support. So everyone should check out Routine, which is her business. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ellen, for taking the time to come on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Justin. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day and I'll talk to you in the next episode.